Titi. <laughs> Adam Bloom. Hello. Thank you very much Pleasure. for, um, uh, yeah, a great studio. It was over, it was yeah. all over. Yeah, it was well, the quickest quick. one. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was normally a coffee with, but it's sort of, well, I mean, we can imagine that we've got coffee. We can call it Adam Bloom stares at microphone <laughs> for three seconds and now it's finished. Are you a coffee drinker? Yes, are you? obsessively. Mm-hmm. Yes. Is that what kind of fuels your... Life. It fuels your life, yeah. I start the day with a coffee. I walk downstairs. My wife is busy with uh, our, my two daughters, our two daughters, and um, I say, do you want a coffee? And she goes, yeah. And um, and I make the coffee. Okay. And um, and and I love it. And well, she loves it. Well, you were saying, because you've got, you've got two young kids now. Yes. And you, well, you're d- still doing gigs and stuff as well. So yes. your life is considerably busier than it was. If you, do, if you go till 39 years old without having children and then you have children, you can't remember what you did with your daytime, especially in a job where you've got all day free, pr- pretty much. Mm. I don't know what I did. Mm. I don't know what I did. I don't know what problems I had. I don't know anything. All I think is now, you know, it's that thing you, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. And of course, I don't mean that my life was better then because my life is infinitely better with children. Uh-huh. I can't stress that enough um, uh, because they exist. <laughs> so I have to say that. Um, but, but, uh, the looking back on it, you know, if you if you lost a leg, you go, oh my God, life is so easy walking around. But I I don't. What problems do people without children have throughout their day? Because everything I'm doing involves shutting her up, changing her, getting that done. And I look back at my life before and I think, well, there wasn't there wasn't anything. I just sat around doing nothing and then went to a gig, and that was it. Well, I mean, have you toned down the amount of gigs that you're doing? No, now? no, no. It's still um, the same. No, because to be honest with you, you know, the thing of having a wife working part-time or maternity leave and not, you know, not earning much, there's a bit more financial pressure to keep, keep mm-hmm. the money coming in. So I'm actually, no, now, when I get offered a gig on a Tuesday night when I'm free that day and I've w- worked Saturday, Sunday money, I might go, okay, I'll take it. Whereas before I might go, I know I could do with a night off. Mm-hmm. And now I know I take it. You know, you've, you've, got, you've got to have I feel, money. Yes, I feel that it's not, it, it's, it's not really a good thing to turn down Mm-hmm. Work. I mean, you know, I don't mean any work, you know, minimum 10 grand. <laughs> You've got standards. Yeah, standards. Yeah. But with having kids as well, some people, I remember Johnny Vegas saying how he didn't want to turn into the comedian who talks about um, his kids on stage. What, and then did? Well, no, because I don't think he has had kids, but I think his argument was when a comedian ha- does have kids, they shouldn't do stand-up anymore because he doesn't want to hear about the life you know the family life that's I don't see I don't agree with that I first of all a, a, a good joke depends on the originality of the of the thought behind the joke so a great joke about children is better than a bad joke about the moon mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so you know I've got stuff on my kids in fact I've, I had comedians come up to me after gigs and go god it's refreshing to see someone talk about parenthood with an original angle you know it's not the same g- generic stuff well maybe that's it maybe it is people just take it the old hat way and if you spin it and make it something fresh... Yeah, Johnny ba- a Johnny Vegas joke about being a parent would not be the same as a Jerry Seinfeld joke about being a parent. Yeah, And no. I think that... that, that um, I was on a bill recently and I had some, quite a lot of new stuff about my kids and every act before me talked about their kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I just went, you know what, this audience doesn't need to hear about a fourth parent. But they did. <laughs> um, no, I, I dropped the subject. I thought this is too much, and it wasn't till especially like when you buy a, a yellow mini, you see yellow minis everywhere because your mind's aware of it. 
I didn't realise how many comedians talked about their kids until I became a parent. Mm. It was just more material going behind me, and now I realised, oh my God, you know, everyone's talked about their kids. It's like you might want to build where everyone's been rude, or everyone's talked about the act of sex specifically, mm. and you think, okay, there's three people in a row, and they've all described being in bed with someone, and you think, come on, there's a million topics, and everyone's <laughs> described being in bed with someone. So I'm guilty of that when it comes to kids, mm. because that is a very... You know, it's, it's very hard if your life if your life is involving being around children all day so much that you haven't got time to think about jokes. I don't mean write jokes, but get bored. I used to get bored when I had nothing to do, so my mind would wander, and when it wandered, I'd come up with a great idea. I haven't got time to be bored, so therefore I haven't got time to think of jokes. So the things I think about are what's in front of me, and they're children. Mm. You know, mm. that's that's it. If you move to a foreign country, you would have a joke about being in Germany sooner or later. Yes, yeah, no, I, no, I see. And yeah. also, I mean, the act, you were saying how busy you are now, and, uh, I mean, has your writing process, you know, whatever that is, has that changed? No, my writing process is uh, 50% of my stuff comes to me on stage mm-hmm. and 50% walking down the street. So the stuff that comes to me on stage still comes to me on stage, but the walking down the street stuff doesn't happen so much because I'm walking down the street going... Got to go and buy those nappies, get back in a hurry. Whereas before I go, la, 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 well, I think I'll go and have a coffee for now and pretend I'm bohemian. You know? <laughs> but, and then an idea would hit me. So the 50% of the process has changed, yes, mm-hmm. because I'm, I'm not walking down the street in a dream world anymore. I'm walking down the street with purpose. Yeah. So therefore I'm not getting those thoughts. But I'm still improvising on stage and still doing that side of it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, to answer your question, uh, the writing process has changed for me because I'm not bored enough to daydream yeah. my, my stuff comes from looking out the windows also I've been driving for a year so I did 18 years on trains I wrote three Radio 4 series on trains sitting out windows while I was on the way to gigs what a great way of using time do you know what I mean That's actually using the train journey to a gig I get to Manchester and everyone get up off the train and I'd be going like this because I was still finishing a bit <laughs> I think I've got to hurry this before the train goes the other way <laughs> you know I've got to get off it wonderful mm. um, but now driving to gigs and because I've left London and uh and then coming home, getting up in the morning, having kids there, it's so different. Mm-hmm. Looking back on it, I don't know, you know, I, I've got to approach the comedy slightly differently now because I can't rely on only stuff that comes to me on stage and stuff that about my kids. I can't, I can't be the bloke who talks about his kids for half an hour. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. want to become that comic. Yeah. Maybe that's what, maybe that's what Johnny Vegas meant. Well, possibly, yeah. That you, yeah, that you can't talk about anything else. And but I mean, do you force you, you force yourself not to always talk about? Yeah, no. It, I mean, because fifty percent of stuff comes to me on stage, I'll be on stage talking about anything. Mm. So therefore, half my stuff's about anything. But a lot of my new stuff is about children because the other fifty percent is all about children. Mm. So yeah, that's yes, yeah, that's yeah. that's is quite a high percentage of new stuff being about your kids. Well, no, true, true. But it's a broad subject. It's not. I'm not going. Oh, isn't changing nappies a bore? <laughs> You know, oh, don't say the funniest things. I'm sick of comedians where the punchline is the funny thing their kids said. Mm, you think, yeah. All oh, right, I paid money to hear what a two year old said. <laughs> you know, yes. That, that bores me. Mm. Uh, but, but to actually, you know, the, the relationship with a child, what you see in children and learn about yourself, what, you know, the, the, the pregnancy process, the, all these areas, there's, there's, you know, there's probably 20 very different areas of childhood parenthood that that don't even overlap and every kid's different and every and... kid's different yeah but i mean I but i'm not even talking about the kid itself because that starts to be all oh, my kids a bit weird right you know? okay yeah but, yeah um but, but the you know i just don't like comedy where the thing that's funny just happened you know mm-hmm. 
an old lady fell on a banana. So I talked about it. You know, I was an accountant, but I saw an old lady fell on a banana, and now I'm a comedian. You know, so you have an idea, but you then have to do something with an it. Idea, yeah, mm-hmm. ideas. Please have some ideas. <laughs> Please have some ideas. Take home message. Yeah. So now you were saying about how a lot of stuff comes to you on stage, yes. and I've heard you talk before about how if you if there's no improvisation, you don't feel it's it's honest. There's a moment when I think an audience are all in stitches and I'm standing there just repeating words I said the night before and a part of me just goes, this is a lie, this is all a lie. So I feel I have to open up and be a little bit on the spot and then they're seeing a person really talking. So then they really are seeing a real person thinking and being funny, which is surely the reason you became a comedian in the first place, Mm. place, because you could be funny. Mm. So Mm. I'm being funny, now you're seeing it. Now if it's just 20 minutes of just stuff, that's quite a robotic process. You're manufacturing this situation where you look like you're just being chatty but you're really saying the same words as before if that's all the way through your set then they feel like they've been touched but in actual fact they've just been spoken at mm-hmm. and then you could be craned out that gig and plonked into another gig and carry on <laughs> do you know what I mean that, that feeling then I think that's a little bit uh, two dimensional so I would always give them the next dimension which is feeling me talking to them and if you talk to them and then you veer away from that and go into your stuff they feel the stuff is being spoken to them as well because there's no there's no mo- moment where the needle hits the record. Mm, mm. And if there's a bit of go, hi, nice to be here, what's your name, what's your name? So, I went shopping the other day, it's like, ah, <laughs> the needle hit the record. But if you can slip in without, then, then what you can do is your body language of somebody who's genuinely talking to them can merge into the body language of someone who's just doing an act. And then your whole act is more sincere because you've managed to smuggle the sincerity of the beginning mm, in. Mm, mm. You know, it's, it's it's just like a little, little bit... It's like a barnet man who's got a real nose. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And your bogey falls out and you go, oh, that barnet person's quite real. He's got a bogey. You know. So you're trying to blur that line. I'm trying to blur that line. Mm. I stick a few bogeys at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. But can you feel yourself switching on? No. It, if I can do it... it, it, it this is whether, whether, you're, whether you've got your mojo or not. When I'm really in the zone, it's seamless and it's masterful and I could feel myself just slipping from one atom into the other and I don't even I can't even mm. see the join. Mm. And because I can't see the join, I'm now saying the stuff all the way through like it's real. Mm. And that's the point. Then you're not reciting lines, you're living and breathing the material. Mm. Because mm. if you're saying something that's a recital but you're believing it as you're saying it and your eye contacting and your body language is fitting in with what you're doing, that is real, mm. even though it's been said a hundred times. Mm. That's actually more sincere than saying something improvised that you don't believe, because the sincerity is in the words. Mm. But what, where it becomes plastic is when, you're, when you don't even believe what you're saying anymore. Mm. You could tell a story about a car crash, and when you get to the point where you said, and then the car smashed into this person, broke his leg, if they're just the words, broke his leg as opposed to an image in your mind of someone's leg being broken, and just saying, and it broke his leg. If you're saying that for the third time that night, and you just say, broke his leg, and the audience is going, oh my God, it broke his leg. But you're just saying, broke his leg. Your body language won't be selling the point, because you're just saying the words, broke his leg. Have you ever had someone on the phone to you, and your customer service go, and, and how long have you had the car? Three years. And how many miles have you? And you go, ah, oh, there's a screen in front of that person. They're going there to there to there to there, right? But the skilled one makes it sound like a conversation. Mm. And at that moment, they're still going into the screen. They're still asking the question they have to ask. But they're doing it with a rapport. Mm. And that thing, that 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 uh, line, some nights I can feel myself drop the ball 
and I can feel myself. I mean, sometimes the audience, let's say you get heckled and you deal with the heckle and then you've now got to veer back to material. That's a really hard one because the energy is confrontational. So you're bang, ah, and suddenly you beat the heckle, everyone cheers, ah. So I went fishing. You know, that moment, yeah. like, ah, you do material. <laughs> but if you can then talk about something relevant to the heckle, a bit of material by improvising the uh, making a join between the subject of the heckle and what you want to say and then burging around like that then there's no it's like airbrushing and then suddenly everything's okay teachers do it teachers take a chart oh calm down there oh have you seen this I've watched my daughter in nursery getting upset about something and the teacher distracted her she didn't want me to go it was one of her first days mm. and the teacher just brought this toy oh have you seen this I said, oh and, and, it was, and I just snuck off and she, she hypnotised her with a toy away from missing being scared of her dad leaving it's the same thing they're going oh oh there's a problem there's a heckler oh, and then they're away. and they're away but if you go anyway where was I where was I that's the killer one where was I what you're saying is back to the script where was I you may as well get a bit of paper and go right the heckle heckle then there was oh and I went down the street you know, okay and then carry on and I went down the street. Action, boom, mic, went down the street. Do you know what I mean? So, so that, but that, to me, that's the art form of, of, of playing, of merging in and out. Mm. But that's quite a complex thing to do. I mean, did you take a long time to get to that point oh, yes. where you felt like... Yes, but, but, what, what, but there are comedians who never get that. Right. Be- because if you acknowledge as a new comedian that it's there to be done, then you attempt to do it, you fail, but you know it's there to be achieved. Mm-hmm. But And this is quite high status sentence, but... I've watched comedians with 20 years' experience get heckled, and they've gone, okay, well, what's the next part of my set? And it's so inappropriate to what's happened in the room. Mm. You know, if you plan a date with someone, and you say, well, this date, at 9 o'clock we're having dinner, 10 o'clock we're having cocktails, uh, 11 o'clock we're back at mine, half 11 we'll be having sex... If there's if the what, if the meal's messed up and the and the and the waiter's made a mistake and the, the cab's delayed and there's problems and now it's eleven o'clock and you're still in the restaurant you don't oh time for sex and pull your pants down <laughs> things have changed the context has changed but it, that sounds ridiculous but in comedy it's exactly the same amount of um, inappropriateness because the the gig is not where you wanted it to be mm. so therefore you've got to adjust mm. to that but can't people can they watch a piece say someone who hasn't you know, um, spent all the years in the comedy clubs and right. learnt those skills. If they're coming with a piece that is good, mm. um, but you know they just simply don't have the skills to put someone down, does that you know take away mm. from that still being a good comedy piece? It doesn't take away from a good, good piece, but what it does mean is if something happens that interrupts the gig and they attempt to just go back to where they were, mm. they're going to live or die by the audience's ability to split back into that frame of mind. Mm. Then they then watch it. The audience don't get into it, and then they go off and they blame the audience. Right. Well, they didn't get it. They didn't get, you know. Oh, I see. No one's heard of Descartes. We were talking earlier, <laughs> and and, the, and and it's like, well, wait a minute. Maybe they have heard of Descartes, but they were distracted by the bloke being dragged out by four bouncers, mm. and you thought it was appropriate to go. So anyway, I was in an art gallery the other day, and there's in the background, and they're going, "God, these audience are stupid. They don't get my Descartes joke." You know, mm. you know, you could, you could say it's never the audience's fault. That's a good philosophy. But but I mean, can the audience uh, go along with you with that and and accept that it is a piece? 
you know, accept that this is a performance. Yes, so they can't change their mindset accordingly mm-hmm. because they're human beings. They're not yeah. robots. Mm-hmm. If they've seen a conf- if they've seen an extremely confrontational situation, mm-hmm. it's on their mind. Have you ever had a row with, uh, with a girlfriend over a, 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 um, a, a romantic meal? There's been an argument. And you go, oh, wait a minute, we're trying to have a nice time. So I've got to get out. And so they go, okay, let's just okay, so have, oh, have a nice time. You can't. Mm. You can't. <laughs> Your chemicals are going for your body. And you go, you can't. You can't. You know, I had an argument with a friend once and he went, and we sort of got really tense and then it sort of burst and he went, oh, and it was really awkward. And he went, so how's your mum? Like and I thought, and it's like, if your method is to go, how's your mum? Okay. So I thought I'd play along with it. Yeah, she's all right. And we're sitting there and these chemicals are pouring out of our bodies, all this adrenaline. And he, in both our heads, he's going, God, I'm right, that really pissed me off. And I'm going, God, I'm right, that really pissed me off. And we're sitting there going, so how's your mum? And all these chemicals are going through our body. I'd much rather get the whole thing out, mm. discuss it, yeah. and then move on. Yeah. Okay? Now, to take that analogy and compare it back to the gig, if you're at the gig and there's something happened and the comedian tries to just go back to it, everyone's trying to go back to it because they're supportive. Right? Yeah. And they go, okay, you're having to make this go back in. Let's go, let it go back again. Okay, we'll go back in. But it's the same thing. All the distractions are still in their mind, so they're trying to watch it, but they can't enjoy it. Mm. Okay. And then it goes back on track, and eventually it works. So they go, oh, yeah, I lost them a bit in the middle. That was weird. But you lost them a bit in the middle, and you've failed to deal with it. It's, you've got to do something to, to, to set everything back on track again. Mm-hmm. And um, you are perfectly within your rights to just go back to what you were doing. Yeah. But just be aware of the consequences. Mm. And don't blame the audience for the consequences. Right. And have you seen that happen? Oh, million, have, millions yeah. of times. Mm. Million, millions of times. And, you know, I've made the mistake sometimes. It's making a call. Uh, last night on stage, I, I improvised at the beginning. and It didn't work. And I thought, quick, get them with a short gag. And did a short gag that was a little bit shocking. And they had been undecided about me because of the first bit not mm-hmm. working. And I shouldn't have done that. Because the audience had slightly... Step back and go, I'm not sure about this bloke. So the shocking line I did was a line of you've either just walked on stage and got them with that, or you've already got them and you can take risks because it's a bit shocking because they've already liked you at that point. This audience one decided it was a, it was a split decision because I didn't assume the improv was not going to work. Mm-hmm. And I made a split decision. I made a bad decision. I came off stage and I turned around to Michael who was in the back with there and I went, that was a mistake, didn't, didn't I? That was the first mm-hmm. thing I said. I didn't say that audience took a while to warm to me because they were thick or they were too drunk or there wasn't enough people in the room, all the excuses you could make. I acknowledged that I did an ad lib that didn't work and the joke I did to get them back was too shocking and the audience doubly recoiled. Mm-hmm. And I had to work for about three or four minutes to get them back on side, to stroke them until they realised that they, they were in the company of someone who knew what they were doing. Mm-hmm. But that was all my fault, entirely yeah. my fault. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, I mean, being a comedy performer in terms of a comedy club performer, mm. you definitely need that in that forum. But say if you're doing maybe like a like a theatre show, mm. uh, which more and more people are doing. Yes, I, I kind of agree that I mean, you need something to deal with a confrontational situation. But if it, if it is simply just a piece, it just goes smoothly all the way through, and you do the bit. Mm. Yes, but how about this? No two nights are the same in a theatre. So therefore, if you've got a set that goes A to Z all the way through, and on one night the audience are a bit slow to start and warm to it, it's a bit pedestrian to go through A through to Z without rejigging the order to make them... If you've got... The way I see it is the fishing. If you fish and a fish bites it, you pull it in. If you fish it and it hits a rock, you don't pull it in, you recast. So just because of it in the theatre, there are no... Uh, hecklers and all those kind of things there are still all things under the surface that are happening 
There's still people talking. There's still people losing interest. There's still a mobile phone that might go off. There's still a glass that drops. There's still a bar noise that happens. There's still a really, really focused audience that just happen to not warm to that opening bit. No one set goes exactly the same every single night. Mm. Part of the excitement of doing a run at Edinburgh is you've got the night when the audience... Okay, different nights. Saturday night, they drink more. They're excitable. Mm. Monday night, a little bit more laid back. Sunday night, they've had a big Saturday night. They're a little bit hungover, a bit quiet, a bit subdued. Mm. You've got to adjust to those things. To just have an A, B, C, D, E, to Z, this is my show and that's how it's going to be, is basically going, I have no control over this gig other than the, the writing that went to it. You may as well mm. phone it in. You may as well play a DVD of yourself doing it to them. I know, I see. But yeah. I mean, is there the risk of that? Does that just inevitably happen when you get to such a level of fame that people are just going to love you? Yes, it does. The, the trouble is where people are at a middle level of fame and they just think, this is my show and I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's when it starts to go hit and miss. And that's when people start to go... Well, that crowd was this, or that crowd was that. It's like sometimes people turn up at a comic club and they go to the audience, to the other comics. Yeah, what what they're like. And then they say, yeah, they're really nice, but they're a bit this and they're about that. And then the comic comes up and goes, yeah, yeah, you're right, they were. And that's their ego. What they're doing is going, yeah, I failed to make them laugh too. And now we're both going to bond over what was wrong with them. Yeah, they are a bit that. They're bad. Well, change them. <laughs> yeah. If they're a bit subdued, shake them up and excite them. Mm. Now, if you're doing a show in a theatre that goes from A to Z and the audience is a little bit quiet, just we're going to go, oh, they're a bit quiet tonight, so I'll just do my act. What a boring task that is. <laughs> the work's done. I've done the act. It's, written, it's really funny. And now I'm just going to say it. Mm. You know, what mm. an un... that's, the, that's the kind of people who don't move in bed. <laughs> no, they, I they, see. they think it's yeah. your job to do all the work. Yeah. And I, I, I think it's really, really lazy. You, the, 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 the skill of a comedian is probably... I would say 70% how you react on the, on the night. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Having the best act in the world that just is said in one order is, is not a great skill in my opinion. Mm. The, the, the main skill. And I've written for 35 people. Yeah. I'm known as a, a writer. Yeah. yeah, but I still think the greatest skill of a comedian is the manipulation of the room. And that's the bit that you kind of revere. And yeah, because, because, because you can put all the thought in the world into... Your act, but in the moment you got, I had a split decision to, to get round that ad lib that didn't work, and I made a wrong decision. That was a bad move. But when you've got all year round to write the show, well, you've done it. Congratulations. <laughs> if you know, it's it, it for me the the actual split decisions are, 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 are the most commendable because then you don't have time to go over it and employ writers and and rewrite it and tweak it and tweak it and tweak it. Mm. That's my opinion. Thank you so much. Cheers. It's been a pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Cheers. That's the most serious I've ever been in. <laughs>